Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ahoy, friends. Welcome back to Truth and Justice. You are tuned into the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 52, The Glock. This week, we heard Bob take a closer look and dig a little deeper into whether Robert and Christian owned or had access to the same kind of weapons used in this horrific homicide. We weighed through two different interviews by Robert and Christian's friend Chad to see if these firearms may or may not have been owned at the time of the murders. I know I have my thoughts, and after a quick break, Bob, Janet, and I are going to dive into these, as well as your listener questions, here on Truth and Justice. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Skystream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second. 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply. Alrighty, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, I'm just going to give everybody, this will be in the audio version, but just a heads up if there's anything quirky that happens in today's recording. We're recording on Wednesday and uh, there's supposed to be a massive storm moving through our area over the next hour while we're trying to record this. We're on Zoom and I have satellite internet. So. Uh, things may get a little funky here, but hopefully so far so good. Uh, real quick, so a housekeeping thing. I've never ever done this before and, and I has I hesitate doing it, but I, I do want to, let me back up just, a, just a little bit here, just to give you guys a very transparent view of, of what's going on. Anybody that's in our Patreon group or anything, uh, has known for a while. I've been, I've been concerned about the podcasting industry and as it as it compares to the economy, this this industry has never existed during a recession or any downturn in economic times. And I I fancy myself a bit of an economist. So for the last for the last year, uh, I've been worried that you know the way we operate is we operate off of ad revenue. That's why the show's free to you. It'll always be free to you guys. Um, and we get paid by advertisers. But the first thing to go in a recession is marketing budgets. And, and this is not a truth and justice issue or even a wondery issue. This is a, this is an industry wide issue. I've talked to several friends in the space, but, but while our download numbers and our listenership is, is fantastic and growing, the ad revenue is plummeting drastically. And, and that's for those of you that, that listen to um, true crime binge, you know, that we, you know, we had to, we had to pull a plug on true crime binge at least for the time being until things straighten out because it just, you know, that it's just gone to where it's it just, it was costing us money to operate that show. And this is, is, and always will be uh, mine and Zach and Janet's focus is the work that we do here on, on truth and justice. It's not looking good. We got our quarterly revenue report for what we're looking at for the, the coming month and we're for the next, for the coming quarter, but it's, it's not good. And we're going to have to start making some pretty serious cuts uh, to keep the show operational. So I, I want to preface this by saying that regardless of what happens, this show will always continue. The work that we do here is 
the most important thing uh, in, in my professional lives. And I know that um, Zach and Janet feel the same way. You know, we obviously we all have lives and lives and careers, but you know, we're here because we feel very strongly about the work we're doing. So there's, there's no concern about that. We'll continue doing the work we're going to do. But with that being said, in order to keep the ship afloat and try to limit the amount of, uh, of cutbacks and stuff that we're going to have to do to keep the show rolling, I'm just going to make a, a brief request. This is the only time I'm going to do it. So, yeah, and, and, and don't feel bad if you can't do this. But anybody that has ever thought about joining our Patreon, now would be an amazing time for you to do that. We have the the five dollar level of Patreon. If you if you were to, to do that, you'll get your your own feed that you can plug into all your podcast players, and you get every episode bonuses, everything ad free. Uh, so that's just one advantage. Plus, when you're in the Patreon community, there's a whole nother it's a whole nother social media platform for discussions and chatting and stuff going on. Uh, and then also we do uh, you get the follow up. Not only do you get the follow ups on video. But you also get uh, – we do an hour-long pre-show, Zach and Janet and I, uh, on video before this show starts every week. That's not show-related. It's just kind of a fun conversation where we just kind of talk about what's going on in our lives. I was 100% going to say that. It, you call it a pre-show, but it's a whole different show on It its really own. is. Yeah. Yeah. It would be <laughs> – in a different time, it could be its own podcast. But yeah. we, we just do it. So um, every week, if you want to on Patreon, you can you can plug in and – watch an hour of us all just kind of shooting the shit and then get a video version of the podcast. And again, you get the, uh, the ad free versions of it, but that's, that's all I want to tell you guys. I've just, I've, I've always been extremely transparent. I, I will put a link, sorry. Um, somebody in the chat just asked the YouTube chat asked if, um, we can put a link to the Patreon. Yes, we will do. I will do that here. I'll put it in the chat. Um, but it's patreon.com slash truth and justice is where you go to join the the Patreon. Um, so anyway, as I'm sure anybody that knows me know that's that's a difficult thing for us to talk about, but you can blame Janet. Janet convinced me that it was okay to ask you guys to help support us to keep things going along. Yeah, I mean, if I could just jump in for a second, I would say too that you are so great about asking your listeners to show up for costs that pertain to DNA testing and legal fees and things for the people that you focused on through the seasons when they need help. And you've always been so appreciative and so vocal about how much the Truth and Justice Army shows up for those costs. And so I would just gently say, and again, Zach and I aren't taking money for this. We understand that this is this is Bob's world. This is Bob's job. He committed his entire career to making these changes happen. And we're here to show up for it because we love it. I continue to be a patron of the show, even as I come in and co-host with Zach. And so if you have been one of those people that has showed up and been able to do that for these different financial causes, this isn't really very different because in order to be able to help pay for DNA testing down the line, this podcast needs to exist. And I know Bob says he's going to do it no matter what, but there are a lot of different ways that he will make that happen. And I would like to see it happen in a way that is good, healthy for his soul, healthy for his family. And there's no like other side of Bob that you don't see off the show where you like would be, you know, you wouldn't want to support him. He is this person all the way down, all the way through. This is his heart. And so this is the time to show him how much you appreciate what he's doing and um, and just show up for him. You know what I mean? Because he you know that like if things clear up, he's going to be like, guys, we're doing OK. Like if for those of you who yeah. are having trouble making those Patreon patrons, why don't you unsubscribe? Like he's just very open and transparent about all that stuff. So know that if he's asking, it's because we need you and we love you and we appreciate you. And we know that you will come to the table in the best way you can. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Janet. And uh, and I already saw people in the chat that say they they're joining and they, it really does. It means many hands make light work. This is why we always kept our keep yeah. our Patreon subscriptions down down low. So if a bunch of people do it um, and with that being said, let's move on to um, truth and justice stuff. Zach just wrote down a note, note here and uh, several listeners reminded me and thank you for the reminder. Um, last week when we heard Daniela's interview where she uh, the the officers interviewing her mentioned well Brandon told us something about a miscarriage we looked back through Brandon Kugler Harrison's interview from 2007 and there was no mention of it 
Um, somebody in the chat had figured out that uh, th- there was another interview. Literally, I found out the day before Daniela was interviewed that we hadn't heard about yet. And that day I went looking for it and couldn't find it. Uh, then I was reminded on the chat and I did end up finding I have not been able to find a transcript for it, but I did find the audio for that interview. Uh, and so I will be posting that as a bonus, but Zach and I listened, it was only 20 minutes long. We listened to it right before we came in here. Do you have any thoughts on it, Zach? Um, I mean, he does address the, the idea of the miscarriage, which is the, uh, I realistically think it's like the first time we hear anybody actually talk about it. That's not a detective. Well, Javier remember, remember Javier said that she had told him. Okay. She does. He does. Javier does mention it, but Brandon seems to remember it being early in 2006 is when it's happening. So we're, I mean, we're, we're predating the murders by eight, nine months. Right. Yeah. And essentially he says the same thing that Javier says, but, um, I will point out that, that it, it, to me, it gives some credence. Not that I ever, I never, I never thought Javier was lying about it, but I wondered if it was a story that Becky was maybe kind of making up uh, because we hadn't heard about it from anybody else. And that still could be the case. But what Brandon says is the interview. He says that he uh, Vargas is interviewing him and he says, does she ever say anything about a pregnancy or anything like that? And Brandon said, uh, I, f- I think I remember her mentioning that she thought she had a miscarriage at some point, uh, which he best he could recall. Uh, he dated back to probably the spring of 2006. Like he originally said, bef- like, he thought he said before he moved or before she moved back, but then you said he corrected himself. Yeah, and I think he said it would have been like between February and April 2006, which is about when Javier said, I think, that she had told him. It, but remember, Javier, what Javier had told police is that she told him that when she was with Robert back then that she had gotten pregnant and had a miscarriage, but she never told Robert about the pregnancy or the miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And Brandon does say that he believes she was with Robert at that time. Yeah, nothing about whether or not she told him. He just said he didn't. I mean, he's seems like a like a very honest guy doing his his best with things. Um, uh, as far as trying to help the police out, but it but it it is it is consistent with what Javier had said. Also, when uh when Daniela was told that Brandon mentioned a miscarriage, that that's true. He was in the interview. I think he was interviewed on the 12th of September in 2013 and Daniela was the next day. So, um, but I will, I'll put that whole interview up as a, uh, uh, as a bonus coming up. This episode this week is going to be a weird kind of double thing. I'll talk about it at the end of the show, but I'm actually putting it out in two parts, but I don't want you guys to wait a week between parts. So I'm literally going to put out an episode on Monday and another one on Tuesday. With the two part, just because for our contractual stuff, I can't put out three hour long episodes, so I got to break them up. Nice. Okay. Um. So that'll be coming, and we'll talk about what that is here in just a little bit. And um, if you don't have any more thoughts on Brandon, Janet, or do you? No, just a quick shout out to Nicole who made sure to post that on the follow up Facebook posting, so that we yeah. would remember to do that too, because I really appreciated that. Yeah, Pamela had made another post about it too. I saw both of those, so thank you guys for that. So this week's episode, the uh, the, the Glock, uh, I do have, I'll wait and see what the questions are, but sure. don't let me end this episode without, if we don't get to some of these points that I've done more digging into, mm. I think there was a holster. I don't know if anybody asked yep. about it, but, uh, okay, yep. good. So we'll, we'll talk about all that stuff. So make sure that I get to that. Did you guys have any thoughts on, on the, uh, Chad Birnbaum and the, and the Glock? Well, I, I think Chad's interviews were very telling. I mean, obviously they're very separated, but in his first interview, I mean, he, He's very poignant that that he thinks Robert owned a shotgun, and that's really all he knows. And then there's, I mean, he even the the detective even prods a little bit, and he, he there's not much else there. Yeah, you know, he says, oh, they have some knives and whatever, but they don't, they don't. Well, he very clearly says, if he had anything, it was just a shotgun. Okay, yeah, in yeah. 2007 is what he says. And then, and then in the later interview, he brings it up. They they come back and he starts talking about firearms, but he even brings up the picture, which is again dated we're we're presuming 2010 ish i mean i'm sure there's some data on that photo that we could pull out somehow but but from his facebook post is 2010 ish so i mean we we know that it's not pre-murder at this point we talk about i mean the episode's named the glock i'm the firearm guy right like this is what we this is what i do i'm i'm super excited about this episode as soon as it came out and it's really hard to say i mean if robert had access to a glock as as it's called i mean that that's a the brand of firearm they're everywhere that's one of the most popular firearm brands in the united states 
there it very well could be that he had access to it you know just because he doesn't own one at that time there very well could be access to it but it also doesn't mean that there's not thousands of other people that have access to a a glock firearm because it is one of the most popular brands in the united states Mm -hmm. and it's very hard for me to continue to see these guys painted as gun nuts because they own guns they are target shooters that's what i am i mean that's what i've done and and I, it's very frustrating to continually see them be painted as these crazies because they own guns and they like to shoot. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, we we do that all the time. The same thing with fires. They talk about them being, the, oh, they're they're obsessed with fire. Well, I'm like, trust me, we were good old boys in high school that liked bonfires just as much as the next guy. I don't think we were obsessed with fire. So I, there's a lot there to unpack, I think. I've said this before, but I'm just very grateful that we have your perspective, Zach, on the show for any number of reasons, not just because of your expertise, but because I do think that there are a lot of listeners like me who just didn't grow up around guns. It's not a judgment call. I literally just didn't grow up around them, uh, except for a few family friends who had ranches and stuff. Um, And I think for those of us who listen to the show who may not have had that experience, you can sort of, I think, get sucked into the narrative that the state was putting out there of like, well, you know, people who are interested in guns love violence or, you know, how can you ever forget that they were made to kill and that's what they're supposed to do. And so if you're thinking about guns all the time, you probably want to kill everybody. And this is a very sensitive time in the world, in our country, to be talking about guns and gun access. And so all of those things are sort of floating around this case, whether or not they really have truly anything directly to do with it. And so Mm -hmm. I just so appreciate and I'm so glad that you, one of the gentlest, most wonderful, dear-hearted, sensitive people I know, um, also has the experience of like being great with guns and loving target shooting and all of that, because it really for for anybody who loves this show, who doesn't know what to make of Robert and Christian, I just think it's very, really helpful to think to yourself like, well, how about imagine Zach? Like, you, I couldn't yeah. be less concerned about Zach. You know what I mean? Everybody comes from different walks of life, and it's I think it's important to understand. So like Zach and I, for example, both of us have several guns. We have them for very different re- – well, for the most part, have them for different reasons and different types of guns. And, and like I said, anyone could see either one of us as a gun nut. Zach was a competitor – I mean, you haven't done it in a while, but still is mm-hmm. a, a professional competitive shooter. So he's got a lot of ARs and handguns and things like that that they use and certain types of shotguns that they use for that type of thing where I have guns because I'm a hunter. So what I have are bolt-action, long-range rifles that are not semi-automatic. But And then there are people that just have never messed with guns, have never been around guns, don't like guns, and all of that's fine. I'm not saying yeah. there's – all those different perspectives are fine. Oh, and as a crafter, I own a hot glue gun. Right. <laughs> Pause for withering judgment. <laughs> yeah. uh, but just just know that. just Like, like when I saw um, you know, later – and we're going to get get into this stuff later, but um, not what Robert had access to in 2006, but like later on, like when they were arrested and they go through like the collection of guns that he's amassed since then. And he has several different ARs and and it, like to me, there was nothing concerning about that because I know so. there's one sitting right next to me that has a similar collection mm-hmm. that, that, that does that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So but anyway, we should we should we should move on from that. for sure. But I'm glad just we put that out there because I think it's mm-hmm. still coming up for people as we as we talk about, you know, the episodes called the Glock. I'm going to interject one thing really quick, and I think, Bob, you're you're on the same page as me. Even though, like, I couldn't legally own a gun, I, I believe I probably had my first shotgun at 12 or 13 years old. Me too. That my dad purchased me. Now, it wasn't legally in my name, but it was considered mine. I was I was yeah. supposed to take care of it. It's it's still, I, own, I have it in my possession now. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's super unusual to own a shotgun younger than that for, for hunting purposes and whatever it mails me. I don't be. either. And I, I just want to do a real quick shout out in the YouTube chat to What About Bob, who points out that he indeed owns a cock gun. Uh, and then we can move on to the first oh, question. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> yeah. What About Bob? I also own yeah. a cock gun. Thank you. You made me feel even craftier. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the registration. A lot of this stuff connects to everything else because uh, of the content of the episode. But Brian B., uh, Veronica C. also had some similar thoughts. I'm going to read Brian's post. I don't own any guns, but if you purchase one legally, don't you have to register it as an owner? If that's the case, shouldn't there be records of Robert's father owning a Glock? Because we heard in the episode that Chad thought maybe that's what was going on. Uh, are we assuming if Robert didn't uh, if Robert did have one when the murders took place, he had it illegally? Couldn't RNC defense team use the testimony from Chad when he said Robert didn't own a Glock against the new one years later when he changed his story? So a few different things going around in there. Yeah. Uh, to, to the end point there, if you go through the transcript, you'll see his, his the defense did a pretty good job of trying to impeach him from his older story but you know the, so what's happening is the defense is going look you were interviewed in 2007 and you said the only thing that he had was a shotgun and then in 2000 uh when was it 16 uh now you're saying you think you're, you're sure you remember him having a glock back then don't and 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 a lot of times you have uh chat on the stand like saying yeah i would have remembered better back then but then the prosecution comes back and is like yeah but you know more about guns now and certain things trigger your memory you were traumatized back then so there was a lot of that uh, a back and forth stuff. As far as legally owning the gun, I can tell you Robert did not own a Glock back then. And, and, and I've been spending a lot of time this week researching it. And I don't think there's any chance that he had access to a handgun back then. If you go on our website and look at the Charlie's Angels picture, you'll see the gun they're talking about was a photo taken in 2010. It's a grainy photo. It's Chad that's, that's holding it. Robert is, is holding, uh, an AR that he, that he does own is his. And then and Sam is holding a shotgun on the other side, and then Chad's standing in the middle, and all you can see is just a handle of a black gun, a blurry handle from long ways away of, mm. of this black gun that he's holding. And, and, and if you listen to what he's saying, he really doesn't even remember whose it was. It, it, it may have been Robert's, but again, that was in 2010. Uh, and you're you're going to get more about uh, about you know Robert's owning guns and stuff uh, in the, in this week's episode. But as far as registering the guns, that's one of the things that's most frustrating to me. Yes, when you buy a gun, it gets registered. Now, you can you can trade in long guns, like a shotgun. Like I could I could sell Zach a shotgun with no paperwork if I wanted to. Long guns. Handguns are different. And and these are federal laws. With a handgun, even if I'm selling him or giving him my used gun, you have to file paperwork on the transfer of that gun uh, for it to be registered. Like the only way Robert could have access to one when he was working part-time at a water park is if he were to buy it on the black market somewhere and no one has ever seen him with it or heard heard of him having it. But what's frustrating is when you register those guns, that information is very well protected by the ATF because they don't want to infringe on people's rights. Like they don't want people to be able to look up, well, what guns do people own? You know, because especially, you know, go back to Second Amendment stuff. And I know this is a hot topic right now with everything we have going on. So I'm not I'm not giving a political position on this at all. Mm-hmm. But that information is protected. The only people that can get access to that information is law enforcement. And it's not hard. We hear in a couple of interviews the officers doing the interviewing mentioning you have this registered to you, you have this registered registered to you, which sounds to me that they like they did pull the register the registrations. I've personally seen it done. Um, someone, a, a friend of mine, had completed a suicide a while back, and he he had a lot of guns, and I was helping his wife who was trying to find them all 
because you know he had some 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 things going on at the time and there was some paranoia involved and he was hiding stuff. And so I went to the police chief and was was like, "Can we find out how many guns he has so we know if we found them all?" And he was able to. I don't know how quick it was, but I know I talked to him one day and I went into his office the next day and he had the list from the ATF of every gun that he had. Hmm. Not not difficult at all for them to have that information. I suspect they probably had from little context clues during those interviews. It sounds to me like they did have that information. The problem is if they don't admit they have it and it's not in discovery, the defense has no way of getting that. There's no there's no subpoena, nothing. There's no way to get a gun registry unless you are with law enforcement. Yeah. And I guess you can't get something if it doesn't exist because that was yeah, that was a question. I mean, Mark on Facebook had pointed out, yes, you know, legally they have to be 21 and register if they follow the law. Mark says that can be a big if, but you've just sort of established why it's not necessarily super easy or common to be a person who has an illegal firearm that no one has seen or heard about. Yeah. And they have Robert's bank records and he worked part time like he didn't have the kind of money it would take to go buy a black market gun from someone or the connections. Right. Kate says, reading through transcripts, uh, the defense did an adequate job of trying to point out the difference of Chad's interview stories about the gun. One thing I did notice is they missed the opportunity to point out Jeremy Witt's character defect that Chad knew. To be clear, no guns were registered to Robert or Christian in 2006, nor was there any gun found in the searches of their property, correct? Was there ever an investigator or whoever executed the search warrants on their places that testified about what they found? Uh, and and Kate mentioned an officer Ford as potentially perhaps there being some sort of transcript or, or interview or testimony. I'll check for uh, Officer Ford's transcript. I'm not sure about that. Do either of you understand what she was getting at with the Jeremy Witt character flaw? Did I? No, I actually there? don't. I actually I'm not sure. But Kate, if you're here, which I think you might be. Um, Maybe clear that up in the chat. Yeah, if you want to elaborate on that a little bit, um, because I I didn't immediately remember which thing Chad could uh, could point out about Jeremy. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, weigh in on that and then we'll come back to that. Yeah. But as far as the rest of it goes. So the crimes occurred September 2006. Robert and Christian's houses were the search warrants were served and they searched their houses in October on October 2nd of 2007. So a little over a year later. Uh, and there was a search of Robert's house, his grandma's house, um, uh, Christian's mom's house. I don't know if they did his dad's house, but Christian was living at the time with Jackie and Lois and they searched their house. At that time, Ro- Christian had an old, 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 uh, side-by-side double-barrel shotgun and a pump-action shotgun. And I I haven't finished sussing all that out to see when he got that, but I I believe he got that after after the fact. Robert had two guns in 2007. When they searched his house, they found a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun, and they found a bolt-action 7.62-millimeter rifle that was like a Russian, like World War II era rifle. Robert had bought that rifle, and, and, and you'll hear it on Sunday, again, another indication that it sounds like they had pulled the registration. They talk about that he had bought, and he bought it from Big Five. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's a California store or whatever it is. Big Five Sporting Goods, yeah. Yeah, he had bought it from Big Five. It was registered. He did it. It was an inexpensive gun. And, that was, and then the shotgun he had got from his uncle – who had passed away and, and he says that he got that like two months before. Was it a Mosin Nagant? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a very, Oh, Josh just put it up there too, but um, Mosin Nagants are very cheap firearms and you yeah. see a lot of people own them because they're so easily to get a hold of and they're so affordable mm-hmm. except for they, they are extremely strange round and they're not worth a damn to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a, it's an old and, and keep in mind, there was no, none of the victims were shot with that type of round. It was, it's a seven, it's a, it's a right, a rifle, not a shotgun or, mm-hmm. or a handgun, but he did not own a handgun. They did not find a handgun in either place. Uh, and they did not find anywhere where they had access to a handgun at, at that point. And again, there'll be more on that, uh, later. And, and also, you know, they didn't find, you know, they found, a bunch of seven six two rounds, which are the ones that go in that Mosin Nagant. And and I'll, I'll stop for a second. You're saying seven six two, which is the correct. It's seven six two by five four. 
which is different than an a, than an AK round, which is seven six two by three nine. Okay. And people will if you just if you're saying seven six two, people are going to uh, uh, immediately attach it to an AK, which is a, which is considered an assault rifle, which is a different thing. Uh, a Mosin Nagant shoot, shoots a seven six two by five four, which is a, a very large round. It's a very different round. Yeah, and it's a bolt actor, so there's a type of gun. He had no scope on it or anything. Mm-hmm. Type of like, it would be like it, well, imagine World War Two. That's what they were they were they were used yeah. in. Um, so I, I hope that answers those questions. Yeah, and I, Sarah had had a question about kind of whether or not the defense had tried their best to use Chad's prior statements to show the differences between uh, things that he had said then and things that he said later. Um, so Kate kind of answered Sarah's question. It was like listener answering listener's question there. Um, yeah. So shout out to Sarah. Uh, I wanted to read this from Rachel. I thought this was was really interesting. Rachel says, Bodmer seems to have a very specific M.O. when interviewing potential witnesses. He presents them with a bunch of hypothetical sounding scenarios like could the guns have been purchased in 2006? And when the witness says they don't know, he tells them it's OK not to remember. But is it possible? And a reasonable witness says, I mean, yeah, I guess it's possible. And then he takes it as fact. I'm just floored that a jury convicted them on this basis. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There are a couple of things in here that are statements, not questions. And both listeners preface this by saying, like, mm-hmm. I recognize that this isn't a question, but it's just something that they wanted to put out there. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it's very, you know, I remember when we first started hearing from Bodmer, I said, I'm so refreshed by because I feel like in my own head, this has haunted me. Um, but I, I was like, I'm so refreshed by Bodmer's approach because it's so different from Leclerc's. He's so personable. He's so uh, appreciative of everyone that he's talking to. You know, he's very polite. And all of that sort of goes to also the sort of looseness of like recognizing that people aren't necessarily going to remember. And on the surface, like everything he's doing to me seems like what I would imagine a good investigator doing, like a saying, like, I understand that you're not going to remember all of this. Don't worry. That's not a bad thing. Or, you know, we're not coming after you. We just want to talk to you and hear what you have to say. But we only want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear anything. We don't want you to manufacture memories, anything like that. I feel like all of that stuff seems like good, healthy investigation. And so it's been a really interesting process for me and I think for many of us to sort of parse that out a little bit more and understand what might be a little bit more dangerous than what meets the eye about uh, the way some of this stuff takes its shape. You know, Bodmer's interviewing techniques to me are it's very clear to me that he is a D.A. investigator and that he is at this point trying to get evidence for trial. He's not in a phase where he's trying to figure out what happened. He's trying to get evidence at trial and and you hear that with Chad with him you know Chad first tells him nope I you know I don't think we even went shooting until after the murders and now he just had a shotgun and he just starts he just pushes and prods and pushes and prods and then like oh, I don't want you to make anything up and then makes it make a suggestion and push and, and practice he's trying to get something that can be used I also do want to point out Nicole in the uh in the YouTube chat mentioned that Christian's dad owned a list of guns and and of course they were driving his dad's car um, I've seen, I, I don't quote me on this until next week when I can verify this, but, uh, I don't, I believe he had Christian's dad owned a shotgun. Um, but I don't believe that he owned a handgun. Uh, and Nicole, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong in the chat. Um, but I, 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 I haven't seen anywhere where they would have access to a handgun so far. Okay. Yeah. We definitely had some questions about that, that I'll, uh, shout out as we move past them since that just came up now. This is very much in keeping with what we were just saying and what you just mentioned. Sarah said the the interviewer said the truth never changes. That's something that stuck out to some people in in one of the statements that Bodmer makes. The truth mm-hmm. never changes. The truth always comes out. And then when it does, the truth never changes. And Sarah was just pointing out the irony of, you know, other people's stories changing as they needed to be changed uh, over the years to make something fit better. Trisha said, yeah, he said the truth never changes. Yet Chad's truth changed even within <laughs> that series of interviews right uh, and they went ahead and ran with it so just a lot of a lot of people noticing the irony it felt like like veiled and it's just my feeling on it um but it really felt like veiled uh threats not the right word but intimidation by the you know he he tells him everything he knows it's not helpful at all and you know just i need you to tell the truth you know this is all this is on the record. This is all recorded. And the truth doesn't change. Like with Lois, kind of. The sort of like, you know. Yeah. And that segment to me felt very much like 
you better tell me the truth. What you're telling me isn't it, it's it's giving a message that what you're telling me isn't what I'm looking for and I'm not happy mm-hmm. about it is is the way it felt to me. Which is interesting because Chad seemed so incredibly cooperative uh, yeah. about all of that. And that's, you know, that's something that, you know, you're taught as as an interrogator or interviewer to try to capitalize. If, you, if you're catching on, they're trying to be cooperative. You're, you know, there's a lot of subtle things that are happening in people's brains when they're you know, what we would call suggestible, um, where somebody's like, okay, they're trying to be cooperative. Uh, and then you start kind of giving them, I know you're trying to help me. I'm trying to let you know without saying it that you're not helping me. And by the way, let me make a few more little suggestions that are maybe things that would help me, you know, without saying it. That's just the way I took it just from my experience and training and in, in interviewing and interrogation techniques like that. That's what I was hearing through that was I'm letting you know that you didn't help. I know you want to help and giving you a little idea without saying so what I need you to say that would be helpful. Hmm. And I guess LeClaire's version of that was just to say, you know, most people who kill people don't kill someone before they kill someone or that whole. I'm going to give you a little preview of my favorite LeClaireism ever and of what you're going to hear coming up um, where he definitely demonstrates that he's not the he's not the sharpest one in the room when he says uh, it's in an interview with Robert and he tells him he wants to take a polygraph. And Robert's like, well, okay, well, I got to talk to a lawyer or whatever and see, you know, what I because because they're not really accurate, are they? And Leclerc goes, oh, they're accurate, they're accurate, they're science, they're just not admissible in court. And Robert says, well, if they're so accurate, why aren't they admissible in court? To a long pause, and well, <laughs> uh, but anyway, you'll oh, you'll no. you'll hear that, but 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 there's some weird gotchas, uh-huh. like like well. Christian's dad said he did have a home phone. So it's like, what? What are you talking about? So so Kate mentioned earlier about Jeremy's mental defect or whatever we want to call it. Um, she posted in here that, that Chad said he had PTSD or some other mental issues in his 2016 interview. Oh, okay. So that's the thing she was talking So that's what we're about. addressing. Yeah, okay. that's what Kate was addressing. Oh, thanks, Kate. Yeah, so Tracy, some other, this is this is kind of what we were talking about a little bit before, but um, Tracy said, didn't Chad say that he and Robert had gone out with Sam and his dad? Was that part of their process? Did they check to see if it could have been Sam's dad's gun or anything like that? Yeah. It should have been. Go talk to Sam and Sam's dad and find out if they owned the guns in question or who owned it, because it's very clear that he didn't know. And Montana points out in the in the chat that she says it's it's actually normal for details to emerge as a person repeats their story. Um, I would I would push back against that from my perspective. What's not normal is for, for someone to say, no, absolutely, the only gun he had was a shotgun. I'm not even sure if he owned that, but there was not a handgun. And then years later to remember the details of the first time you shot. That, that's not that's not a detail emergent. That's a that's a direct now, if if in the first one he was like, you know, I don't remember what guns he had. Maybe there was a handgun. And then later he's like, Oh, you know what? Now I remember it. I would maybe buy that, but definitely not. No, he did not have a handgun to, yes, he had a handgun. That, that, that's not a detail emergent. That's a change in story. Hmm. Erica S. and Toby both had questions and pointed out that um, Chad said that he used to paintball with a guy named Austin and that he isn't sure if Robert knew Austin. Is there any chance the Austin he's mentioning is Austin Alba? I caught the same thing and thought a huge light bulb went out. And then I went back and read the transcript and then re-listen to it, and he doesn't say. I can't remember now off the top of my head what he says, but I remember. Like I heard that, and I was like, "He's talking about Austin. He's talking like that's interesting. We know mm-hmm. in Austin." And then I looked at the transcript, and it was, it, it wasn't even a name. I can't, I, and I wish I could remember off the top of my head, but 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 he didn't actually say Austin. If you go back and listen to that part, it's a different word that he said. He doesn't say Austin. Okay, it's not even a name. Is it like a guy from Boston or something like that, or is it like? It's something like that. I I should have. I didn't know that question was in there, or I would have. But, but I but I had the exact same thing. Like I heard it and had the exact same reaction, and then went and looked at the transcript, and it said a different word. And I'm like, no, that's not what he said. Then I went back and listened. I'm like, oh yeah, that is what he said. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I didn't. Ha- I mean, I listened to the. I listened to the episode twice. It was kind of hard to hear Leclerc's interview, but I didn't remember hearing anything about Austin. So I was wondering if maybe I didn't hear about maybe i just heard what he what he did say um 
Sarah says any more intel on when Chad and Becky did date and for how long and anything like that? All I know is it was after. So Robert and Becky broke up, I think, that we've got varying times for that. But it sounds like it was, for, according to Robert, it was like around January, February. And then in between there, somewhere between there and when they met in July is when Chad dated Becky. So, you know, we know there was there was Chad, there was there was a guy named Alex, there was Gray, Jacob. Her sister said that she did date a Marine at some point or go out with a Marine. Mm -hmm. Um, But it sounds like it sounds like Chad was earlier on before July. Gotcha. Okay, so about the the photos, a little bit about the photos. Uh, Rachel says it seemed like the boys were not shy on posting photos of themselves while shooting in the desert. Did the state try and use that 2010 photo of Robert to prove he owned a gun, even though Chad's interview states at the time, the timestamp on the photo? Um, Were there any other photos that were used, uh, other photos that were collected um, from from around the time of the murders? I don't think they got used at trial. I could be wrong about that, though. I'm trying to think back through the exhibits file. And and when Chad was on the stand, I don't think I don't think that they asked him to. Put up, you know, put up the picture in question. Okay. It's probably because it was, you know, they knew that it was in 2010. And that's the thing. Let me be clear here. If there was evidence that Robert or Christian or both owned a 40 caliber pistol and a 12 gauge at the time of the murders, that still doesn't mean they committed, you know, the list of people that owned those guns in that area has got to be huge. Like Zach said, that's a very popular gun. Mm-hmm. The the Glock forty caliber is an extremely popular gun, uh, and so is a twelve gauge. Especially for anybody that does target shoot. Just in the little circle we know, like you've got Chad, Sam, Sam's dad. They they've been shooting with Sarah, with Jackie, with Lois. They've all, like these are all people that that have taken guns out to go shooting. So it, it doesn't mean you know we you've, you've got to look at. And I'm not saying it's not good to know. But the, but it but it, it I don't want it to turn into well if they had the guns that means they did it and if they didn't have the guns that means they didn't do it right because right. ultimately what we should be looking for is is there evidence they actually committed the crime right right uh, you know and, and as of right now I haven't seen any and, and I still I haven't seen Nicole get back to me on there so I'm assuming that I'm right about that too is I haven't seen anywhere where either of them had any access from anyone. To have a handgun, which is what Vicky was shot with. Right. I want to give a quick shout out to Lars, who wrote almost verbatim everything you just said about even oh, if no. they did have access, it doesn't make them guilty. Uh, so shout out to Lars. Uh, anybody wants to check that post out? It is almost word for word what Bob just said. For a second, I was like, you must be reading Lars's post. I just want to throw out there, you guys probably saw this too, Zach, maybe you saw it, but uh, Erica did pull up the transcript and it does say, uh, according to the transcript, I think we uh, with, um, I don't know if Robert and then were, them were with me, but I know another guy named Austin who we played football with. We went paintballing with him a couple times because he lived up there. I forgot what his last name was. Oh, I, okay. That's not the part that I was talking about. Oh, okay. Um, uh, there was another part where I thought I heard, I heard Austin. That one I think I just didn't put any relevance to because it was somebody they played football with in high school and yes. Austin did not go to their school and was older than them. Right. So that would definitely not be Austin Elba. All right. Well, that helps. But Jeremy says, was the, was the Charlie's Angels photo a printout? This seems unlikely to me. Why isn't Bodmer trying to find the metadata from a digital picture that includes the date? Maybe he's fishing for a recollection in order to avoid possible bad evidence. And then you sort of have the disappointing outcome eventually that Chad does remember that it's 2010. Yeah. Yeah. I think Bodmer had, I think he had printed it out, but it had to, like like Chad says, he had to have gotten it from Facebook. So he could have found the, I I think when you post on Facebook, the metadata is still there. I'm not, I'm not positive about that, but Chad's very clear that, you know, he posted it right after they did it. Because remember, first he finds it in like 2013, but he's like, oh, that was a repost. The original post was 2010. Right. Janiah says, I thought the point, and here's one of the things you called out early in the episode, uh, early in this uh, follow up, Bob. Janiah says, I thought a point of the state's case was finding an empty holster at Robert's house that would fit a Glock. Is this just misinformation or was this also part of their case? No. So this is all more of the of the smoke and mirrors. So. Yes, they found a Glock holster at Robert's house when they searched his house, but no Glock. With 
the holster, they found the receipt for that Glock Glock holster that showed that he bought it in the summer, or I think it was like July of 2007, or might even no September of 2007. So he had a holster and no gun, and they know that he bought that shortly before the the search happened. And there's and the explanation for that you'll hear on Sunday the reason that he bought it. So I'm not gonna I'll I'll wait and let you guys hear it then, but. Robert explains very clearly why he owns the whole the holster and why he had bought it, even though he didn't have a gun. Also, he explains why you know, why he doesn't have a gun, which is exactly what I said because he's not twenty one, so he can't buy one. He's actually trying to. You'll hear on Sunday. He explains it all. Okay. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Yeah, Allison uh, was wondering, and, and Wes also, they, they asked about Christian's family. So it was also pointed out in the Facebook follow-up that, you know, if, if Christian was the one driving— and if they their point of origin was at his house, that that would be good to know. But we've already talked about that. But shout out to you guys. Uh, and then we're just kind of, we're sort of getting away from the Glock talk in this particular episode and into some more general kind of theory and questions. Uh, do you have more gun stuff that we didn't touch on? I know we hit Janiah's point about that holster that you just mentioned. Is there more that you wanted to cover that is specific to this? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, there was the stuff about the search, but we're going to get into more of that coming up. Uh, Nicole uh, did just pop back into the chat and say she double checked and said Christian's dad did own a handgun and a shotgun. N- Nicole, either if if you can very quickly say, point out here in the chat, otherwise, um, Nicole is the one that is believes Robert and Christian are guilty, and I think she's going to be the one that's going to come on and discuss discuss that with me on the podcast. We've been emailing. Cool. So, Nicole, if, if it's something you can real quick pop in there with details like what kind of gun when he bought it, stuff like that, go ahead and put it in the chat and we'll talk about it right now. Was that used in trial? Uh, I don't think so. Well, I don't um, know why they wouldn't use I mean, no no shade, but I don't know why. I mean, Christian's the one whose DNA they have. I feel like they would have been all over calling yeah. any attention they possibly could to Christian's dad having access or having or owning if it could have helped them. Yeah. The only thing I remembered was that, that um, his dad... I think owned a shotgun, which I believe is the shotgun that they found at Christian's house uh, a year later uh, that he had. But anyway, Nicole, if you if, if some if you can if you if that information is easy, just pop in there. Otherwise, um, shoot me an email and just let me know the Bates number and stuff, and I can go look that up and make sure that we get that information out clearly and accurately to everyone. Awesome, sounds good. Uh, okay, so Natasha says probably not relevant to this episode, but will you be getting Jim Clemente back for a revised profile now that you have more information before the end of the season? Obviously, we talked about Jim and the live event that we did mm-hmm. and his uh, perception being more kind of clarified by having more information uh, by the time we did that show has more been kind of illuminated. And do you feel like it makes sense to have him come back in and participate in some way? I don't think so. I mean, I talk to Jim pretty regularly, so I I may mention it to him. But the things that we've been discussing since then are all suspect-based, and he doesn't deal in suspect-based stuff. So he was – we had learned more about the crime scene and the neighbors and the fire and the timing of the two fires and stuff like that. That's crime scene stuff, and that's what feeds into his profile. And that's when he he had learned all that, and he said that this appears to be, in in, in his opinion, was – a double homicide and a witness killed Becky being the witness and then also followed up with if Becky had been the target of this attack, she would she wouldn't have been found outside the house. She would have been found inside the house. Since then, we've been focused on suspects. So I don't know that there's anything to bring him back in on. 
Okay. Uh, and, and that sort of in keeping with that, Toby had said, you know, Jim had mentioned one scenario that Jim had mentioned that we hadn't given much attention to is a possibility that Becky was the focus of crime, but not the target, i.e. the killers wanted to punish, hurt or scare Becky, but not kill her. But then she interrupted the crime and they had to change their plan. The recent mention that she might have been more involved in the drug scene than we thought brought this possibility back up for me. Bob, what do you think? Do you see anything in the crime scene that makes you think this scenario is likely or unlikely? I mean, I don't really, but also in that scenario where they're like, maybe like going, the plan is to kill John and Vicky to punish Becky. In that scenario, it could look exactly the same, right? So if that was the case, Becky would be a surprise. She wasn't intended to be the target. So whether or not the intention was to kill John and Vicky and Becky just happened to be there or happened to show up and surprise them and had to be killed, or if they were killing, they were going after John and Vicky to punish Becky and she showed up and surprised them and they killed her. Either way, I think that the elements that we see on the crime scene would look the same. Got it. And then, uh, Susan, this is my last one. I just wanted to shout out Susan, who did who uh, put in this particular follow up post. Uh, if we pursued the theory that this crime was related to John and or Vicky rather than Becky, is there any information at all in the file that might provide some clues or direction? And just shout out to you, Susan. Um, I think you mentioned this, Bob, a little bit last week that, you know, yes, we were taking a course of action that includes investigating the investigation and then seeing what we have to work with beyond mm-hmm. the trial, beyond all of that. And that unless I'm mistaken, you sort of felt like you're not ready to say yet whether we have enough or not enough to talk about what we're going to explore until we get there. Is that accurate? Or Yeah, I mean, we've got some information that is worth digging into about some alternate suspects and things like that. And then as is kind of our process, when we start doing that, it's, you know, there's a handful of episodes that I want to put out about that stuff and get this information out there. And then it's a matter of, does it start a trail of breadcrumbs to get us where we need to be? Or is, is we're going to put it out there and it doesn't go anywhere and then we're going to be waiting on DNA testing? So I, I just don't know yet. Yeah. And shout out to Montana, who mentions, I don't know that we've really actually found out that she was more involved in any kind of drug scene than was originally thought. So, yeah, I think the only um, thing that we heard point. different was, um, and Montana mentions it there, is that uh, that she was trying to grow her own weed and stuff in it. The way Montana puts it in the chat is that hard, that's hardly being involved in the drug scene. It, it depends on your perspective. I mean, it's it's I, I'm, it, it, it it just depends. I mean, you're you're dealing with a substance that was illegal at the time and that was expensive and that people get killed over. So it's a possibility. I haven't seen any evidence that she was like mixed up. You know, you know, I agree with Montana here that growing a couple plants for herself and her friends is not the same as being connected to a drug cartel, you know? So we have no evidence of anything like that. Yeah. Well, that's all I have. You've uh, given us some breadcrumbs about what we can expect from next week, but we still don't have a full picture. Do you want to give us any more of a breakdown on that? Yeah. So in doing further research and follow up on the episode about the Glock, of course, I was going through this week. The Really, I was starting just to prep for the follow up. The search of the house, the different guns, the interviews that happened after the uh, that search occurred, and I started listening to. So I had an audio version of Robert's interview after the search happened, and the audio was absolutely horrendous, some of the worst that we've heard. So like almost unlistenable. But then I also had a video of that interview, and the audio. On the video is actually very good and very clean. Nice. So I ripped the audio out of that video. And as I was listening to it, I just think there's there's too much there not to put this out for you guys to hear. Because you so the, so this is a year after the crime, after the search, all the stuff that we've now learned about, like the stuff they found in his house, and we've learned about like what what was testified to at trial. You get LeClaire sitting down with Robert again, um, uh asking him again about their route, what they were doing, what they were driving, asking him about the guns, asking him about the business card, things like that. And it's not something to like, you have to hear it because there's a lot that for me was really interesting to hear like everything from like Robert's tone and how he reacted to things when he was asked about stuff rather than just reading it on paper. So uh, this week I was going to get into closing arguments, um, but I think it's, it's important for you guys to hear this interview at the end of the interview they had Christian in another room being interviewed. They they brought Christian in 
and the two of them are they you know they don't know they're being recorded but they just you know they they pop them in the interview room together where mm. they can chit chat a little bit so you hear you hear some of that there's a really interesting exchange um about the wheelbarrow and it and again mm. it's one that if you just read it it doesn't it doesn't say much but if you hear it where you know Robert is telling Christian about um they're asking me about if I touched a wheelbarrow and you hear Christian just just in the transcript, it would just say wheelbarrow, but when you're hearing it, you hear Christian saying, a wheelbarrow? What? Like, hmm. just, you know, completely confused about why, you know, why they were talking about a wheelbarrow. Hmm. But anyway, so that's what's that's what's coming up. This is, and I know a lot of you guys don't like the interviews, but you should absolutely, definitely listen to uh, this one. Again, the audio is crisp and clean. It's easy to easy to hear, and there is a ton of information that comes out in this interview. Uh, and real quick, thank you, Nicole. Nicole just popped in, uh, th- who was talking about Christian's dad. She said, in Christian's first interview, his dad is there as well. And the dad says that he owns a R- Ruger Mini 14, a Winchester Defender pump, which I believe is the one that he has, which is a 12-gauge shotgun, uh, and a 45 automatic, which she says he kept in his car, and a Ruger 25 and Ruger 22. So uh, thank you very much, Nicole, for that. Um, so that's in Christian's first interview. If you want to go back and check the transcript or listen to that to, to see all that stuff. But what's, what's important about that is that Vicky was shot with a 40 caliber or a 10 millimeter gun and Christian's dad did not own a 40 caliber or a 10 millimeter. Uh, a 45 is nowhere close to a 40, 40. It's a huge round. Right. <clears throat> none of those are close. Okay. Yeah. None of those rounds are anywhere close to that. So also that a big point for, for that, I'm glad she, she brought that up is. According to what she's saying, and I'll have to, to confirm that. I have to go back and read the read the interview, but I trust Nicole that she's she's being accurate here. That apparently there was a pistol in the car that they were driving that was a forty five uh, a forty five caliber. John and Vicky were shot with a forty caliber. So if you're in the camp that thinks that Robert and Christian are guilty, now if that's accurate, what we know is they absolutely had access to a gun that would have been right there. And that's not what was used. Huh. So that would mean that they somehow got a 40 caliber that we have no idea where it came from or how they got access to it. And they had another handgun right there that wasn't used. Um, wow. So something something to think about. But thank you for that yeah. information, Nicole. Yeah, um, great. And with that, I think that we are, uh, I think we're all good. We managed to get through the storm. I know. Our internet hasn't cut out. I'm kind of curious to get out of the studio and see what's going on outside, see if it's as bad as they said. Yeah, for sure. Well, for those of you who are battling that bad weather in the last couple of weeks and ongoing, we're thinking about you. We hope for the best and hope yours are, are you and yours are well and safe. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Zach, Janet, thank you, guys. And uh, YouTube, as always, thank you very much for all of your uh, participation, particularly Nicole, for doing research for us while we were scooting along. Yeah, awesome. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again next week. Bye, guys. Thanks, everybody. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. 
You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. I might have went well. I don't know, Kelly. Felt weird. Also, I'm all by myself while there's a tornado outside. Just talking to myself. Talking to myself. Talking to myself. Ooh. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, are we live? I got things to say, by the way. So don't fucking leave me alone. Huh? Over here by myself. When do you have things to say? I, got, I think I have things to say all the time. Okay. All right. Ready? Yeah, your tiny hand. <laughs> Maybe I can have the big hand today. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Where's he even gonna go? Dobbies have lowered the prices on hundreds of everyday products. We'll strap it to the roof. Making them feel even greater. Remember, it's all in the knees. So garden tools feel larger than garden sheds. And lift! Find great value every day in store and online. After all, spring's a big deal at Dobby's Garden Centres. That's the shears. Now for the trowel. Oh, Dad!